1: In 2013, UK Chief Scientist Sir Mark Walport declared that, quote, science is not finished until it's communicated. At Harvard Catalyst, communications is central to the mission of advancing clinical and translational research. Using social media, email marketing, journalism, analytics, evidence-based practices in communication strategy, and more, the Harvard Catalyst Communications team does this vital work. Today, Hardeep Ranu, Translational Innovator, Project Manager at Harvard Catalyst and guest host, is joined by our Harvard Catalyst Communications team, Leslie Lawler, Communications Specialist, Angela Rakowskis, Communications Manager and Lori Shridari, Communications Director. They discuss the science of communication and what it takes to clearly communicate the work of all of Harvard Catalyst's programs and initiatives, plus the work across Harvard and 19 academic healthcare centers with thousands of researchers across disciplines and the general public.
2: Hello, my name is Hardy Branu. Today, I have uh, a wonderful group of people joining me and uh, for this special podcast, and it is the Harvard Catalyst communications team, and we're going to talk a little bit about what what they do in terms of communications for Harvard Catalyst as a whole, and also get into a little bit about um, how they... They work with us at Translational Innovator and how we work with them as well. So I'm gonna allow Laurie Shridhar, the Director of Communications, to to introduce herself and the other members of our team. Thanks, Sardeev, so great to be here and um, sitting with
0: our, as you said, wonderful team, Leslie Lawler, who is our Communication Specialist and Angela Rakowskis, who is our Manager, communications manager, and so we've been a team um, working as part of communications and leading these efforts since two thousand and twelve, um, when I joined. And really, we support a very unique mission, in that as you, most of the listeners would know, Harvard Catalyst is is charged with translating biomedical discoveries to human health, and that is a very unique space. So we specifically partner with Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and really work on best practices for science communications to our community, which is basically all of the Harvard-affiliated faculty investigators. You know, there are thousands of those. And then um, we also have a, a, a mandate over time to communicate with the public and really share best practices and interesting stories, news articles, interviews with our investigators. So that, so that kind of is a brief overview of what we do.
2: Can you sort of expand upon you know, what your role is in clinical research um, and also who your audience is as well?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So when you talk about clinical research, in our case, we are actually training really the next generation of the workforce in various ways. So we're offering tools which are informatics tools, you know, data discovery tools. We are offering, of course, pilot funding, which is a primary job of translational innovator, education, lots of consulting services on setting up studies. So we are really, uh, in a sense, a one-stop shop for many resources and opportunities. And many of the investigators actually don't know necessarily they have this access, right? So we are, um, our audience could be a very transitional group of trainees that they're rotating in and out every few years of the many, you know, of our 19 academic health care institutions, i.e. the hospitals, um, and smaller ones, which is why we call them centers, uh, academic healthcare centers. So when we are working with this group, we're looking at actually pinpointing the right stage for where they might need services, education, courses, training. And so that's part of getting them actually interested in and supported for a career in clinical research. As you know, it's extremely competitive and also a very um, uh, challenging environment to succeed in with all of the funding restrictions. You know, um, many of our listeners might know we're funded by the NIH. And of course that varies um, in terms of grant opportunities for the, the junior researchers themselves. So we point them to those opportunities that they may actually miss. Many of the healthcare organizations they work for have resources like ours, but we are supporting all of them across Harvard. So when the um, NIH founded our agency, which was in the mid-2000s, the agency, the agency that funds us, it was specifically to be that bridge between academia and the um, Hospitals that they serve, and so for smaller uh, clinical and translational science centers around the country, of which there are about sixty, that might just be a one-to-one, a small university with one small hospital. We, of course, are a very big um, environment with, you know, again nineteen. So, so our our role is really to, to again find the um, the precise resources and courses that could meet their needs, and we send them. These, this information directly through email marketing, you know, with strategic uh, data on the list that we, we pinpoint for where they are. We use our um, networking software called Profiles for that often. Um, we have a very diverse and expanded social media platform, um, or I should say platforms that Leslie will talk about a bit. We have a, a big marketing arm through Angela as well. A lot of outreach through our um, newsletter and other channels.
2: Okay, great. So I, you've mentioned Leslie and Angela, so why don't we bring them in here and um, hear what they have to say. Angela, why don't you, you introduce yourself and talk a bit about, you know, what your role is. Thanks, indeed. I'm Angela Rokaskis.
3: I'm the Marketing Communications Manager for Harvard Catalyst. Um, and a lot of what I do is work with the programs for uh, to help them with their needs with marketing plans to promote whatever it is they need to promote. Um, so, for example, with pilot funding, um, with transitional innovator, you know, we talk about what what are we promoting? What is the latest pilot funding? Who are who who are the people we need to get um, in touch with? Who's our target audience? Um, and we usually are able to use profiles to create a list and put that into our email marketing system and send off an email to those specific people because having a target list will help us really get the people, the information of the people we want to know about whatever we're promoting.
2: Great. Um, Leslie, what about you? You do Instagram, social media stuff. Why don't you talk a bit about social media and, um, you know, your role in
4: the, in the team as well. Definitely, so I'm Leslie Lawler. I'm communication specialist for Harvard Catalyst. I've been with Harvard Catalyst for about three and a half years now. Um, and I really support the communications team with strategy and outreach. Um, I help with email marketing, specifically I handle our bi-weekly newsletter. Um, i in charge of social media, as you said. Um, also help with some things on the website. I'm in charge of the website calendar, the news section. Um, and help review new content for the website and build pages too. Um, So focusing on social media, we really use social media to promote our programs, opportunities, so like pilot funding with Translational Innovator, um, resources, courses, our news articles. Um, We also use social media for advertising sometimes. So our postgraduate education program has dozens of um, clinical and translational science courses, biomedical research courses, and those are offered free to the Harvard community as with our other resources. But it's also offered many of the courses for a fee to all MDs, researchers, scientists, really across the globe. Um, So you don't have to be affiliated with Harvard to apply. Um, And so we'll use advertising to kind of reach that broader audience. So we've done Twitter ads, um, Instagram ads, Facebook, um, and Google ads too. Um, But talking about platforms, as you said, we're on Instagram. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Twitter is a really important platform for us. Many researchers are on Twitter and they're active on there. Um, We see a lot of engagement on Twitter. And when I say engagement, I mean likes, retweets, um, people tagging us, um, people clicking through on our links in our posts. So actually going where we want them to go to the information. Everything we do is really strategic. And, you know, again, we're looking at trends in social media. We're looking at other science centers. What are they doing? What is Harvard Medical School doing? Um, And then something else really important that we do is we look at the data. So we regularly look at the analytics for all of our platforms. And then we discuss in our team meetings, like what posts are getting good engagement. um, And it helps us to really plan our content going forward.
2: So just kind of thinking through what you've all been saying um, and, you know, knowing where communications as a whole is or are, where, and I'm just going to throw this out to anyone who wants to answer this question. Well, I have two questions actually related to it. One is like, where do you think the communications is going in terms of platforms that, you know, people are going to use the way in which people interact and, I guess the second one is also, you know, it's something of an interest of mine in terms of, you know, written communications on the website and having the science that's out there, the really great science that our researchers do, and making it more friendly to those people who don't have a scientific background. You know, I'm going to throw it out there. Laurie, if you want to start.
0: Yeah, sure. It's a great couple of questions. So, it, and, and, and my answer actually ties in sort of to both in that even with any developments or changes that we follow, you know, the trends and, you know, say a new social media site that's promising, or we didn't mention YouTube, of course, videos are very important for us as well. And that is a social media platform in itself. What we really stand by is that first and foremost, science communications need to be lay friendly, even though we're even when we're communicating with a scientific audience. So both we we have both audiences always in mind, as you very much know, when you're reading as an expert in one area, say microbiology, you n- won't necessarily understand what's uh, a very jargon filled manuscript in neurology. So what we do as a rule is we follow the best practices for science communications, which is to move entirely away from jargon. So they were always slave friendly. I mean, even when we publish as, you know, when scientists publish, we wanna make sure that our, our papers are reaching the public and they are understandable, right? As best as possible. There are times when it can't be, but what we do is we are in the role of the translation and the summarizing and finding very succinct ways to um, declutter all of the information. And unfortunately, the, of course, as we, many of us know misinformation that's out there, um, so that's where we also feel that our role is um, at least influencing the public health discourse in that way. We do have some of our programs that work directly in that space as well, in diversity, inclusion, and in public health, community engagement. So, so we are always looking to um, be clear. But I think in terms of technology, you know, we're looking as um, both Leslie and Angela were talking about, we're looking at always what our audiences are looking to use and what they'll respond to. So if they are very short in time, which, of course, many scientists and MDs are, um, you know, uh, different platforms that can really apps that can speak to, you know, quicker, uh, more inclusive information that they don't have to spend lots of time weeding through. And that's another reason why our goal on the website is to always keep our information very, very brief and graphics led as well as, of course, in social media. Social media is a graphics platform First and foremost, Twitter has very you know, short uh, character counts. That is all for a reason. We're competing in a very information heavy environment. Um, so I think the combination of what you asked, both the technology and the approach to lay friendly communications would be the guiding uh, principles in our strategy going forward.
4: Um, I would just say that technology and social media is always changing and evolving. And like Lori said, a lot of people don't have a lot of time. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what does happen and adapt to that and change our strategy based on the different platforms that pop up and where our audience goes.
2: Yeah, Angela, what about you?
3: Study after study um, that comes out is email is still the most popular and the best way to engage people. They actually do open. We have a, we have a great, fantastic open rate. Um, in our newsletter recently, Leslie was working on A-B testing. And we found out if we send the email at 8 p.m. at night, we get a higher click rate, we get a higher open rate versus 4 p.m. And so it's a matter of testing what we're doing to see what will work and what can work better. Um, because thinking about your email list is we own that list. And we can always send to it versus social media. It, Instagram can go out, Twitter can go out, so you might not be able to get the information out that way that you want to, um, and you don't own the list of people who follow you, so you have no way of contacting them. So in case you know, besides you know, Twitter, Instagram going out for a day, like if your account is suspended, um, so it's also thinking about each of the different ways we use. Our channels and figuring out, you know, what are the possibilities of saying something going wrong and right. having a backup plan.
2: Right, right. So I want to move on to Translational Innovator because that's my program. And, um, and I know, like I've said, that I've worked with you guys quite a bit and I always find it so interesting working with you guys it's always so fun and I think you touched on it Laurie in terms of the outreach and do you want to talk a little bit about that you know because you have the series of five questions series and the news articles and stuff and a lot of times you know that's post award so you know we've talked about pre award you know how do we get the people to come and apply but there's also the important post award um, part Yeah. So
0: uh, for translational innovators, you're saying specifically, which when we work with you um, on pilot funding, we yes, of course, announce the awardees and we go into depth um, in the articles a bit on the projects themselves. That you know they're usually one-year pilot uh, funding projects, so they're they're early seed funding, and so we we really get into the research background. Of the investigator, their question that they're asking, um, any you know success already in that field that could be really interesting. Anything you know from autism to, um, you know, new interventions for for neurosurgery. Right, we have all kinds of interdisciplinary um, projects. So um, so we like to do this five question series, which is another brief way you know for short attention spans to read an interview with the investigator. And so those are sort of. Uh, freshly uh, freshly minted um, opportunities that come our way and, and people are, are very much interested in, um, in usually being interviewed. And the other thing we do post um, awards sometimes is we take the big picture on what's happening with Translational Innovator. I think in the past, we've done a couple of larger news articles for HMS News, which is something that's always a possibility. Also um, looking into the future. So for example, if an awardee um, happens to secure very large funding down the line, we'll trace back their success to their early pilot funding. And then we'll do a, a bigger story that's more of an article um, showing, again, the, you know, the importance of this early support. And also, as, as you know, your program does more than just pilot funding, you support them through many stages So that grooming and that preparation and that development is something we like to capture in these news stories when we have a chance to do sort of the larger features.
2: Yeah, I think that's, you know, like you said, I think that's what is unique about our program. We give them an award, but it's a post-award. It's a year-long process of support, um, which we really hope will drive the success of the the project. And also, I've heard back from, like I mentioned, um, Victor Neil, but there have been other investigators who have really liked the five questions um and the podcasts and stuff and the articles that have come out because they can then show their department chairs you know or their other colleagues like you know here you know here's my the funding I got and you know the the news about it and um, you know raises the profile of the investigators as well which I think is really important So one of the things I thought was interesting, and I know that um, you guys have been involved in small projects that we've been a part of, that we being Translation Innovator have collaborated with um, the Lab for Innovation Science at Harvard, LISH. uh, They're a part of the business school. And we've definitely done sort of A-B testing of email subject lines to see if people um, Open the emails or encourage people to apply or certain incentives and things. But I thought that was in, that's interesting in terms of translational innovator and our work also on the sort of science of science, but also it's something that you're using, you know, as well. You're, you know, you you're gathering your own sets of data to analyze to see, you know, who's gonna open what when, like you said, and also you know, the different Instagram stories or uh, posts, you know, which ones get more likes, you know, and that kind of thing. So I think yeah, it would be good to hear from, you know, Leslie and Angela, both of you on on in terms of that.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, as we talked about earlier, we've done A-B testing for time that we sent out the newsletter, which has been really helpful. Um, but we also use it weekly with our, our Biweekly with our newsletter for subject line. So for every newsletter, we'll have two different subject lines. Um, sometimes it could be like a title of one of the news articles in the newsletter, or a lot of times it'll be two different things. Like it'll if we have a biostatistic short course coming up, it could be biostatistics short course. And if we have a new um, course, like there's a new one, Essentials of CT Research that we have, it could be and Essentials of CT Research. Um, So we'll send that out, it goes to half. So half the audience of our newsletter gets one subject line, the other half gets the other and we can then compare if certain subject lines more people are opening the newsletter. Um, And then we can also see over time, are there certain subjects that people are responding more to and opening more? Um, For example, like we found when we mentioned biostats that's always a really popular topic and we do get higher click rates if we mention biostats. Um, So that's within the newsletter. And then also with social media, as I said earlier, data is super important. Um, So looking at the analytics with different platforms and also Google analytics to see what people are responding to, what people are clicking on and engaging with. Um, I think a good example of this would be video for social media. So that's such a trend in social media is video. And a lot of studies have shown people are more likely to engage with content if there's video. Um, so over the last, I would say two years, we've really tried to incorporate more video into our posts. And we've definitely seen our engagement increase across all platforms. Um, I think a good example is our summer internship program. Um, it's our visiting research internship program, or RIP as we call it. We have first and second year medical students from around the U.S. from diverse backgrounds come to um, Harvard, or we've done it virtually last for use, but They intern in a Harvard lab for the summer and they do a research project. Um, And what we've done the last few years with them is we've done videos of the interns answering five questions, um, things about like what they're studying, what their research project is, who their mentor is, their experience with the program. Um, And that's done really, really well for us. People have really engaged with that and shared it. And um, it's been a great way to also just promote that program too.
2: So one of the things also, if we just get back to the science and, and, and you know, the re, you know, research that I mean, I'm, I'm purely speaking as a scientist myself and, 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 uh, and knowing the scientific process. And one of the things that I know is that science is, it's never really about the, you know, you don't make the, forgive this analogy, but the, the Eureka moment. Um, that that it, you know that rarely happens, but but also you know the, these incremental steps are just as important. And um, I was wondering if you want to just talk about that side of things as well. You know, communicating those is is um, is incredibly important as well. Yeah, that's a beautiful question,
0: and I think that the research process as a whole is really the unsung hero of science right so it's not as sexy to talk about interoperability what goes on behind the scenes in a lab in a hospital in the research infrastructure itself what it takes to get a um, discovery as we say from bench to bedside that itself doesn't sound very exciting but when you get into as you're saying this iterative process of really the foundational steps that really empower and sustain the future of our research workforce. And that means human health solutions for all of us. Without that, we don't have the interventions. We don't have the therapeutics. We don't have the medicines, right? We don't have all of the discoveries that are absolutely critical. So I do believe, and it's maybe I'm biased from being in this work for so long now, that there there are really these incredible stories. And the other part of being an unsung hero is, as you said, there may be the flash stories and the headlines of the groundbreaking um, news and the research and the Eureka moments. But every day there are s- steps that are done by uh, scientists all around the world that never make it to the headlines, that never win the awards. But their basic steps and and not just basic, sometimes very complicated steps and discoveries are what make the Eureka moments happen later. Um, so we are very much in support of that. That's why we take. Um, you know, great pains to really cover the stories, hear from the researchers themselves, and learn these fascinating stories as we do through this podcast. Because there are some amazing um, mini Eureka moments that, again, may not be the final step. Because, as you know, research is a very long scientific research, very long process. takes years, takes lots of patience, takes lots of funding, um, and it is a very exciting process because it's every turn has new discoveries. But behind that are lots of um, you know generally typical obstacles and hurdles. So again, that may not be the sexy part or the interesting part, but we really love um, finding the gems in that and appreciating all the hard work that scientists, physician scientists and others do and the study teams that support them.
2: Yeah, great, great. I think that's a really uh, important thing to to put out there for people to hear. Um, And I think I would also be remiss in, in not, addressing you know how COVID affected your communications. I I mean I don't I mean I don't necessarily mean you know in terms of working from home although you can you can also address that if you want to but also you know in terms of having to sort of pivot as it were to to communications relating to that. And you know that was changing all, all the time. It still is really you know you know, two, now it would be two years ago when the end of March, right now.
0: Yeah, there was certainly a transition for us as well as disruption in the services and the research. Of course, uh, many of the clinical trials had to be put on hold. There was a lot of sort of back end efforts to really support whatever. Um, even our organizations that we, the, the hospitals, pivoted to more COVID research and moved away from what they were doing. So there was an interruption on our end. We actually benefited from having several years of remote offerings, Um, you know, of course, through education, webinars, courses. We, like others, transitioned entirely to that. But we also found a way to um, come together and bring all the hospitals and the academic healthcare centers information on COVID resources. And we put them all into, you know, an ongoing iterative list on our site that, um, Leslie manages mostly and you know we have that prominently featured because that is important right now. And for especially the first year, that was what investigators needed pretty quickly. Um, you know, how to how to navigate through all of the changes. So I think that um, overall, it's been, um, you know, challenging on the ground remotely and virtually. It's been a good opportunity to open up more of our zoom. Uh, you know, meetings, our, our, our symposia now are on Zoom and they will change back to in-person eventually. And the other thing is our, as we mentioned before, with profiles, um, it's been an opportunity to open up some work there where we have a specific, a platform called COVID Authors that um, Harvard Catalyst Profiles supports. And it's um, basically access to all the publications around the world on, on COVID research, which is an essential um, offering, I think. So. So, yeah, it's a very unfortunate, um, you know, change for the biomedical community and a lot of stress, of course, on all of our our physicians and scientists. But as far as our work in communications, you know, it's been it's been a great support to use the advanced networks that we already have and that others already have so we can communicate, you know, virtually.
2: Right. It's all really important um, stuff to to really consider, Um suppose, you know, being a resource for you know anything related to to COVID is a really great uh, um, thing and i certainly didn't know about that so it's good to hear about that uh so i want to thank you guys for taking the time to talk to me about all the important work that you do um so thank you thank you Arne. thank you
3: for having us on
1: thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast Please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community.
0: To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu thinkresearch.